Inner chaos is part of so many lives. When we go through it, we often try to hide it on the outside. Now I'm okay. I'm all good. But inside, there's a struggle. Why do I feel this way? Am I broken? Am I the only one feeling like this? When people connected with Jesus, they would grow to trust Him, pull down the mask they wore. Hello, church. How are you going? Spotlight's on, but let's pray because we're going to get after it tonight. Let's pray. Father, your Holy Spirit is welcome here. And I know you've drawn every person that's meant to hear this tonight, here tonight. And so God, whatever it is that they need to know about you, take them deeper, I pray in Jesus' name. Take them deeper. May they know something about you that they didn't know before. I pray that for myself. So God, I just pray tonight that um, you would hide my flesh behind the cross and that you would be glorified. Absolutely. And as always, Father, have your way, have your way, have your way. And everybody said? Amen. amen, amen. I love Sunday nights. I love my church family. I love this church, but I really love Sunday nights. So um, tonight we're going to do two parts. And I'm just going to share a little bit. And then I'm going to bring a special guest up. Um, who that's the real treat tonight. And that's going to be the incredible part. So let's get after it tonight. As we continue in our series, it's okay not to be okay. We're going to take a look at a woman in the Bible who was so not okay. And we will see that her encounter with Jesus. We'll see that through her encounter with Jesus, that she gets way more than she ever bargained for that meeting with him changes everything. In the Gospel of Mark, we find that her story is a story within a story. A Mark sandwich is how scholars put it. Now, Jesus' ministry has hit celebrity status. Words of his miracles and healing have gone viral, and word has spread throughout the whole region. And now the multitudes, crowds and crowds of people are following him. And in the previous chapters of Mark, he says that the crowds are so numerous, so big, that Jesus is in danger of being crushed by them. And Mark even adds that Jesus didn't even have a moment to eat for the crowds. And we pick up in Mark chapter five, verse 21. Let me just see if this is on. Yep. Yep. Is that it? First slide. Yep, that's it. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. There, a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrives, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, Jairus is one of the leaders of the synagogue, which meant that he was a big deal in the community. And he was probably really wealthy now. But his prestige and his wealth doesn't seem to matter now because he falls to his feet and pleads with Jesus to come and lay hands on his dying daughter. Now imagine Jairus' excitement and hope when Jesus agrees to go with him. And you'd think that the drama now, 
is that how are they going to navigate through all these people? How are they going to navigate and get through to Jairus' daughter and time? You think that's the drama, but that's not what Mark writes. He says this. There was a woman. There was a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Now, some of you know what that's like. The cures are worse than the disease, amen? Um, interestingly, this story is told in three different gospels. Luke also tells the story, but when Luke tells it, he leaves out the part where this woman suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And he also leaves out the part that she spent all her money giving it to the doctors. Now, does anybody know what profession Luke had? He was a doctor. He just said that she was incurable. But seriously, church, imagine with me being this woman. My heart tenders at the thought of it. For 12 years, she suffers physically with constant bleeding. It's bad enough once a month, period. It's bad enough. The women got that joke. The guys, it'll take off. But every day for 12 years, Every day bleeding for 12 years. She probably suffered with anemia, which would have made her weak and with no energy. She suffered financially. She has lost all her money. Everything is gone, and she's probably a beggar now. She suffers spiritually. Now, the law in the Old Testament was really clear about this. If she was in a state where there was a problem with bleeding and it was constant or chronic, that would mean that she would have been considered unclean. That would mean that she can't touch anybody and they can't touch her because everything and everyone she touched would be considered unclean. That would mean that the bed she slept in or the chair she sat in would be unclean. And if you sat in that chair, you would be deemed unclean. And maybe she's a mom because most women were. That would mean she could not touch her children. She can't do all the mommy things that mommies usually do because that would mean that they would be unclean. And imagine all those years not being able to tuck your children in at night, never being able to give them a hug or kiss them or comfort them when they're sick. She can't do any of it, because if she does, she'll make them unclean. And there's a good chance that she's married. Her husband can't touch her and she can't touch him. Maybe she has lost her marriage by now. And then there would be this stigma and the shame attached to her uncleanness. She would have been an outcast and on the outside in every way. And maybe she would have heard the kind of things that people will say sometimes to someone who is suffering. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't suffer this way. Maybe you've got sin in your life. You must have done something really wrong. God must be angry with you to curse you like this. You know how it goes. She has to live with that sort of judgment for 12 years. And maybe every night before she goes to bed, she prays, God, heal me. And every morning when she wakes up, she realizes, and many of you know what this is like, not this time. But then, then she hears about this rabbi, this Jesus, this healer who is coming. And I'm assuming she didn't have access to a wig or sunglasses to disguise herself. So I'm guessing that she hides her face with a veil so people don't recognize her as that outcast, that unclean woman. And verse 27 says, 
She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd. Now picture how hard that would have been for her church, weakened as she was. And she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, some translations say, if I could just touch the fringe of his garment. Now, there's this great imagery in the Old Testament about this. In the book of Exodus, God rescues and delivers his people from slavery out of the land of Egypt. And it's a dramatic exodus with plagues and waters parting. It's incredible. But I love how God describes it when he would remind his people about what he did. Exodus 19, four says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I love that. What tender imagery God uses because is God a bird? No. Does he have wings? No. It's just a beautiful picture of God's care and protection. You see, I love this little fact that when a mother eagle has a baby eagle and it's too small to fly or it has a broken wing or is injured in some way, she will tuck that little baby underneath her great big wings and let it fly with her. The Jews loved that imagery because over time, this picture of God's wings became a picture of God's protection and his healing. And in the Psalms, you see this phrase a lot, under his wings, I will take refuge or hide me in the shadow of your wings. And I remember listening to Rob Bell and Colin mentioned him last week. He's a great speaker and writer about this that I've never forgotten it. Now the Hebrew word for wing, like under God's wings is the word kanaf. It's also the word that they would use for the corner of a garment. A rabbi, a devout Jew would always wear a prayer shawl and they still do today. And at the bottom of these prayer shawls would be these tassels, all kinds of tassels with these knots that would remind them of the commandments of God because those commandments were something that offered them protection and the healing of God. And there's this old ancient rabbi saying that said, we obey these commandments because they exist for the healing of the world. So a wonderful tradition, an idea was born in Israel that is found in Malachi 4.2 that says this, unto you that fear my name, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And over time in Israel, they hope that for one, that they hope that one day when the Messiah came, that in his kanaf, in his prayer shawl, in the corners of his garment, there would be healing in his wings. There's even a line in that Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that says this, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Perhaps this woman believes that or she's just superstitious, but she fights her way through the crowds and comes up behind Jesus to touch him. And she touches the tassels of his robe. And look what happens. Mark writes, immediately the blood, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Imagine that. Show me the tassels. That's what I want to know. Show me those tassels. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, and this is my version. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? Everybody is touching you, Jesus. And he looked around to see who had done it. Jesus isn't letting this go. He's like, time out. Everybody stop. We are not going anywhere until we find out who it was. And he keeps looking around to see who it is that touched him. 
Verse 33 says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And here's the line that gets me. And she told him the whole truth. How brave the whole truth. Maybe she's afraid because what she has done, she has done the unthinkable. She has made Jesus unclean. Or maybe it's just holy awe. I am not bleeding anymore. She told him the whole truth. How long do you reckon that took to unpack? She's a woman. (laughs) How long and how far back did she go in her story? And meanwhile, Jairus Jairus is waiting desperately because his 12-year-old girl is dying. But Jesus will not be hurried. Some of you know what that's like. We want God to do things for us now, like right now, hurry up, God. But God will not be hurried. And I love how Jesus takes his time to have this conversation with this woman, this outsider, this unclean woman. But why does Jesus do it? And why does he embarrass this woman by making her go public? Because nobody wants this moment, not Jairus, who just wants Jesus to hurry up and and get to his daughter. And certainly not this woman. She just wants to touch and run. The only one who wants this moment is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wants to go deeper. He wants to get to the heart of the issue. Have you ever wanted to fly under the radar, get your healing and just go get some prayer and just get out of here, get out of church? I know I have. I would love, I would love a private healing. Privately, I would. And just recently I had to spend a stint in hospital and I wanted to go incognito. Just do my thing privately and get out of there. But you know what? But everywhere I went, everywhere I went, no jokes, were people from this church. (laughs) Around every corner, everywhere. Y'all just were everywhere. And when I finally got over myself, it was a total blessing. It was a total blessing. Now, Jesus is still working on me with my pride issues, but yeah, pray for me. Jesus isn't having a bar of this touch and run business. Here's the thing. He knows that the euphoria of her physical healing will only last so long. Let me say that again. He knows that the euphoria of her physical healing will only last so long. The deeper heart issue is in knowing and believing the healer. That is the healing Jesus is always after. So he says to her, daughter. Thank you. Is that it? Oh. Yes. That it? And he says to her, sorry, I'm not safe with this. Let me put that down. And Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter, how long had it been since anyone called her daughter? Daughter. He restores her dignity with that one word, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And some translations say your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus is making it clear that her healing didn't come from his robe. The healing's not in the tassels. That her healing comes from him. He is the healing. He is the reward. It's his very being. It's him. 
And he calls her daughter, which now makes her child of God. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings the ultimate healing, healing of the soul. That will always be his priority. Because with Jesus, in Jesus, he makes it okay not to be okay. Physically healed or not. Physically healed or not. This is where I want to end. I, I just want to, um, Robin Chester, my good friend, is going to come up here and we do serious coffee together. She's my partner in crime and in ministry. We've been at serious coffee for how long now, Robbie? 15 years. Yeah, 15 years doing women's ministry. It's amazing. And when I first met Rob, Rob didn't have any signs of muscular dystrophy, the chronic condition, disability that she lives with. And I barely had a limp because I suffer from arthritis. So we both got diagnosed after we had children. Yep. Uh, no. No, actually I was diagnosed prior to yeah. after the second child. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to have a third baby and that's when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and, and what I want to say is that when you have a chronic condition, chronic by definition means, um, chronic by definition means if you've had something longer than three months, you've considered that you've got a chronic condition. And also with disability, um, I was reading an article, it's a huge umbrella for the word disability. Just when you think it's someone in a wheelchair, it's more than that. Or someone with a limb, loss of a limb or a limp, it's more than that. Disability can be dyslexia, ADHD. Um, it is, um, you know, Down syndrome. It is mental illness. Um, and we will talk about that later on. It's a depression and anxiety all fall under the umbrella of disability. Now, I w thought I'd bring Rob up because we kind of do this. We've been doing it for a long time. And I just kind of want to have a look at the behind the scenes of what we kind of do at Serious Coffee. We know each other really well. We have different styles of leading. <laughs> We're very different. We have knockdown drag outs because Rob is the mature one in the relationship. So she, she's awesome. <laughs> and I thought it'd be great for you guys to hear from her. We'll ask her some questions because here's the thing with Rob and I, our bodies may be falling apart, but our mouths are working just fine. <laughs> They're working just fine. So. <laughs> it's not true. We're both very quiet. <laughs> so, Robbie, the first question okay, I would love to right. ask you and hear your take on as we share this series on It's Okay Not to Be Okay. Okay. I want to ask you a loaded question. Yeah. Loaded question. Now, as a Jesus follower, churchgoer, in ministry, mm -hmm. is it okay not to be okay? Ooh. Um, Monica has actually asked me these questions. Um, I've had time to think about them. Um, and the answer to that about whether or not it's okay not to be okay when you're in a church setting, you know, and you're yeah. in ministry, my answer to that would be that as far as people's kindness is concerned, then it's definitely okay, you know? Um, I walk in here, Caleb does things like move the chair away from me, you know? I go to Sarah's Coffee and somebody hands me a cup of tea or they, they yeah. mic us, they do all the things that we can't do. It has its fringe benefits. It has its fringe benefits, yeah. being in a wheelchair. Um, when it's, it's not okay, 
it hasn't been okay. There have been times when it really hasn't been okay. And I guess uh, one of the ways to um, explain that to you perhaps is just to tell you a story. And I can tell you the story because it happened in Western Australia, which is quite a ways from here. So, yeah. you know, you're safe. Anyone, you're safe, yeah. you might know anybody. Um, but I have had this kind of thing happen to me for the length of time that I've had this disease. And that is that people's um, theology about healing and my reality sort of sometimes do this. They sort of bang up against each other where people look at me in a wheelchair and their first thought is, oh, you want to be healed. That, that's their first thought for me. Not perhaps asking me what I want, but saying you know, to themselves, oh, you must want to be healed. So um, I was in Western Australia. I went to church with a friend, and I did not know a single person in that church. It was about 50 people. And I sat, as I often do, sort of in the middle there. And um, we had a lovely worship time and, you know, lots of uh, a good message. And then right at the very end, this lovely old gentleman between the sermon and the last song stood up, stopped everything and said, I just want to say something. And I have to tell you, my heart, when I hear that, often my heart sort of starts like, oh no, please, Lord, don't <laughs> let this be. Please don't let this be about me. I was doing it, please don't let this be about me. I'm not sure why I thought that it might have been. Perhaps I'm self-absorbed. But, yeah. you know, but anyway, what happened was it was about me, sadly, because what he did was he walked to the front, he came right in front of me and said, that I have a word from the Lord for you. He wants you to be healed. Get up and walk. And I... I just kind of looked at him and went, uh, I, I can't. No, you know, no big flood of anything through my body like this woman just. And so I turned to my friend and said, does he want me to nose plant on the carpet? Because, yeah. you know, so um, the downside of that is I spent half an hour bawling my eyes out all the way to this place that we were going because it's intrusive. Yeah. And it's... Um, kind of feel like I've got this neon light sometimes, Monty, that says, you know, look, there's a girl in the wheelchair. She must want to be healed. And I'm telling you, I don't. I, like, that might be surprising to people, but there comes a point. Yeah. Can, I, can I, shall I carry on? Go for it. <laughs> there just comes a point where you get on with your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, some of you, you know, we've got all kinds of disabilities, those that you can see on the outside, those that are on the inside. And at some point, you know, I remember one time saying to somebody, you know, I've asked God. I got down on my knees, you know, like Paul, three times, yeah. saying to him, Lord, heal me. I'd love to wake up tomorrow morning without this disease. You know that. And I woke up with it. And this, I said to this person, you know, um, I asked the Lord and he's given me his answer. And they said, what did he say? And I went, what do you think he said? <laughs> I'm in the wheelchair, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. There's... That's why Rob is a mature one in the no. partnership. You know, <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like sometimes journey. for me, I sound still like, I, I'm moving further from that, but like Bart Simpson, you know, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? When, 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 when you know, but I'm getting better with that, but can you walk us through, I, I know you're okay now, but I know a couple years ago that you weren't, you broke your ankle. Yeah. And that was like a whole mind shift yeah. that you have to do. Can you tell us through, can you walk us through that? Okay. Yeah, walk us through the, um, my question was, 
have there been, what have been your biggest struggles and what, how have you faced it mentally? And then we'll talk about physically and then spiritually. But okay. how was that for you mentally? Okay, so two years ago, I've got muscular dystrophy, which actually means I can still wait bear, so I can actually come off my chair and just stand. You know, it's actually your bones that hold you up, not actually your muscles, so I can just stand, which is helpful for lots of reasons. Um, but anyway, we came home from dinner, and I was in a hurry, and I fell. So I was standing, and I fell, and I broke my ankle, which... Normally, you'd go to A&E, you'd get a plaster cast, they'd send you home and you'd get crutches. But when you can't wait bear on your arms, because the disease is in my shoulders as well, it just means, oh, I can't really tell you what it means without going into intimate details, but it's huge. So I was in hospital for a week, because, shall I be really honest? I can't see you, it's really great, actually. <laughs> I know so I can tell you and just, you know, not see the shock on your faces. But I had to learn how to pee from a wheelchair. I'm sorry, is that a little bit too much information? <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> anyway, you know, I had to learn this big thing. So I had to be in hospital for a week. Um, and so then what happened was I went home after I'd learned how to do that. Anyone needs to know? Come tell me. How much <laughs> I um, so I, I went home. and But what that meant then was that all the agencies started saying to me, it's unsafe, you shouldn't be standing in the shower. So what happened was everything that had been out there that I was just going to slowly walk, wheel towards, the carers, the hoisting, the shower, other people showering me, other people dressing me, all of that just landed in today. And I went into this like mental gymnastics, like you can't believe. I can remember laying in bed holding my husband like in panic going, what would happen if you died? I, what would happen? I, I had to have a carer yeah. come in that I've had for two years now, who's absolutely wonderful, yeah. gorgeous woman. But at the time, you know, I, I had to have people in my life. She comes five days a week. I had to have this woman come into my house, shower me, dress me, you know, um, which is a difficult thing. So I said to Monica a while ago that what happened then was I started saying to God, Okay, I'm okay with this whole disability thing. You know, we'd walk that far. But what the heck does do not fear I am with you when I'm in the middle of a total panic attack? Yeah. Because I just, I cannot do this life that's in front of me. I, I'm spending hours trying to learn how to do all this different stuff. And so the process of that was that I started imagining in my head, I was kind of like, the scripture's got to become real. You know, yeah. you, we can't just l look at the Bible and read it and go, oh, those scriptures are really nice. It's just, you know, they've got to become their, their life. They've got to become that. So I started sort of saying to the Lord, well, show me what that means. You know, come on now, show me what that means. <laughs> you know, I, it needs to be real to me. So um, what I started doing was I started imagining what, I am with you looks like. And for me, what that looked like was when I was, we've got a hoist and in, and in our bedroom that, you know, I'm swung across the room to move me from one chair to another. And I just imagined Jesus in the hoist next to me, kind of just hanging next to me or in the shower chair next to me. And he would say to me, oh, you can do this, Rob. You, you can do this. Because the same father that... Help me do the cross as your father too. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it's got to be real. So I didn't expect to do that. Yeah, sorry. It's good. But um, 
So that's what I started imagining. And I started saying every single morning, and I still do this from time to time, I'll trust you for today. I'll trust you just for today. So we'll just do yeah. the, the care and we'll do the hoisting and we'll do the showering, and we'll do the dressing. But I'll trust you for today. I'll trust you for the panic. I'll trust you for... You know, so that's that's really the process. It doesn't. It's not that you start here and you suddenly just become, oh, I'm okay with my life. No, but you it's have a process. to make. Yeah, it's a process, and you have to bring Jesus in. You know, it's you have to bring him in. You have to open up yourself yeah. and bring him in. And I think for me, you know, that's been the greater healing because there's an intimacy now that I have with Jesus that I I didn't have before. You know, so there's all kinds of Healing, you know, yeah. like, um, and and to be honest, I can categorically say now that I, I wouldn't want to go back to who I was before this. So, you know, I'm I'm still flawed and all those kind of things, but I like what I know about God. I yeah. like who He is to me now. I like, I like the peace and contentment. I'd rather be healed of peace and contentment, a discontent, sorry, than I would of this, you know, I, I'd rather somebody said to me, can I, would you like to be prayed for, for your discontent or your self-absorption or your, yeah. you know, wouldn't we rather be healed of that as opposed to just the physical? It's like we yeah, we kind of get this whole focus yeah, on, the physical, eh, on yeah. the physical body and yet there's so much more to us than that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Because we're all broken anyway. Yeah. Like in, like with the one with the issue of blood or Jairus's daughter, it's almost like these two generations. One's bleeding, but one's dying. Yeah. And we're all that way in one way or another on the inside. Th- th- those were just physical manifestations of an inner reality. Yeah, yeah. That we can be bleeding and dying on the inside. And I know you kind of, it's like a process. And just yeah. when you think you kind of got it figured out with the grief cycle, kind of accepting, you know, anger, acceptance. Grief, and you're grieving who you used to be. And I used to even used to say to the girls, "Do you remember, mommy, when I could get down and play with you, and I was like so much fun, and I could do all these things?" You know, and they go, "Yeah, mom, we do. We remember." And it's just you carry the tension of, "Do you remember when I was like a really good mommy? You know, and I could do that." Now I'm like, "Come here and bring that to me, you know, whatever. Lift <laughs> yeah, that up, yeah, you know." Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah. "Totally, exactly." But it's like um, you see that God become strong in you. And all those mm. scriptures, they have to come to life. Mm. God, I've prayed. You haven't healed. What now? How now do we live? How do I do ministry? For a long time, I really thought when Craig would ask me way back in the day, I really want you to come up and speak. I want you to preach. And I, I would say to him, I don't think the church wants to see broken people up on stage. They want to see together and mm. beautiful. And he wouldn't let me go like Jesus. Mm. He was just like, I'm, no, mm. get up here, you know, kind of thing. So mm. um, how can we, Robbie, as a church, do this better for people who are struggling, who are suffering with disabilities? How can we make our churches safer or this um, church since we're here? You know, I think there's a really big answer to that question. And I think it is that we have to maybe look at our, as a body, you know, we have to look at our thinking around healing as having that so high up here, because it's not, I mean, I, I go to a rehabilitation gym and I've got friends there that are tetraplegics, tetras, you know, from here down. And mm. I mean, just, there's a room of us and we're all 
broken one way or another. Yeah. And I think, I've been thinking about that since when he asked me about this, about, you know, bringing them into this, bringing them into my church. And I was thinking, you know, is it, would they, would it be safe if, if now, Bethlehem isn't actually like this a lot, but I couldn't take them into some of the um, more charismatic churches. I'm being really honest here. You know, I couldn't because the, the emphasis on healing is so high that that's all there is. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you either get healed or what's wrong with you. There's kind of, and I think there's a little yeah. bit of that that sort of pervades Christianity a little bit down here that we, we talk mostly about that. I don't know if that's, that's my experience. Maybe it's my experience because I'm sensitive to it. But um, I think there needs to be this sense of inclusivity that you and I are both broken I'm just wearing mine on the outside. Yeah. You know, we're all broken. We're all in need of Jesus. And we are all broken because we live in a fallen world that is broken. That, yeah. that, that we have to stand on this platform so that we're not surprised by our brokenness, which I, I sense often we are. You know, pe- bad things happen and people are like, oh, pray it, you know, fix it, fix it, fix it, God, fix it. And nobody ever sort of says, Lord, show me how to do this. Show me so that I... I show the world what contentment looks like. I show the world what a lack of fear looks like. I show the world um, what peace looks what like. Peace looks like in my brokenness, rather than fix me, make me whole, make me look pretty, so I can we can pretend that you know we've all got it together here. Which I don't know about you, but we haven't. We haven't got it together. I haven't got it together on the outside or the inside. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that I think if we if we just check perhaps our thinking, then our churches become safer for all of us when we can all sort of breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh, you know, another bunch of broken people just like me. Yeah. Whether it's the outside or the inside, you know yeah, what I'm absolutely. saying? Yeah, absolutely. No surprise. And um, I think and, I heard Louis Giglio say that um, we are all um, in a wheelchair on the inside. Yeah. We're all wheeling yeah. around in there, you know. And then we'd be broken. introducing people to a God that we invite into our despair and into our lives yeah, rather than, you. he's with us, rather than what I see is that we don't connect to God because we're so busy saying, heal me, why aren't you? You mean, nasty God. You know, if we're, and, and, and like, yeah. why aren't you? What, are, what am I not doing? I've heard people say, you know, if they prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed, then they'd pray, they'd pray a second time. They pray harder. I'm like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> what, you don't think God heard you the first time? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's performance-based thinking that says yeah. we have to try hard in order to try and... Yeah. You know, like, you know those um, clown things at the... At the th- things where they open their mouths like that. Uh, you know that? <laughs> and you put the balls in, and if you put enough balls in, the arm moves or something. I often think we... We kind of treat God like that. I'll put all the balls in. I'll say enough prayers. Your arm will move. And that stops us from intimacy in our relationship with God, where we invite him in to the very sure, thing that's going on. Eh? Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you one more, but we won't. But I just think, mm-hmm. just on the inclusiveness, and we'll end. I think even to go <laughs> further than inclusiveness, um, to be included. Mm-hmm. And when you include people, it's just not enough, just like, oh, yeah, we allow, we allow them to come to our services. 
I know I was reading, Colin sent me this amazing article on um, disability, and it talked about this one girl who um, had, um, was mentally challenged and um, said that she would come to church, and she came to this one church for like seven years. And she was included, but she didn't belong. Because mm -hmm. not once in those seven years was she ever invited home for lunch. Mm -hmm. Never in her church. People would come and say hello. So she only had like this hour relationship every Sunday with the people in her church. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's not enough just to be included, but it's to belong, to be in each mm -hmm. other's lives mm -hmm. and uh, talk to Rob mm -hmm. or get her to pray for you. And it doesn't mean that she doesn't think you need to ask for healing. Absolutely. But it's always, what's the deeper thing? Mm -hmm. What is Jesus after? What is the deeper issue? And I think more than inclusive, how do you know you belong? Mm. It's when you're missed when you're not there. Mm. That's how you know you belong somewhere. Mm. When people miss you, that we're not complete without you in your wheelchair or your disability. Mm. It's all of us together in it. Amen? Mm. Amen. And so I'm going to have, yeah, go for it. Just also that you are, you're more, <clears throat> I'm more than my disability. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm more, like if you talk to me on the phone, I don't tell people I'm in a wheelchair. They've got no idea. So I'm just that person. Do you know what I'm saying? I think if we and we're still see, we still have value. I can't value. do. Yeah, we still have things. Do. You know, Monica cannot carry stuff. I carry it for her. Yeah, I can't open chair. doors. She opens them for me. <laughs> <laughs> we're not the blind in the blind. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. you got it. <laughs> you got it. Well, that's the end of that. But I will have you pray for us. Okay. And then we'll close as the band comes oh, up. Okay. All yeah. Right, thanks, thanks. Um, Okay. Hey, Father. Just thank you so much, Lord, for this church, Lord. Father, thank you for the inclusivity that exists here. Thank you for the kindness that exists in this place, Lord. Father, I guess my prayer would be, Father, that you'd go home with each of us tonight. Father, you'd go home with us and that we'd invite you in to the places that are broken. Father, that we would know that it's okay not to be whole, totally in your realm and in your grace, it's okay not to be whole. Whatever that looks like, whether or not it's a physical disability, Father, or an internal struggle or addiction, or that that's okay, Father. And when we bring you into that, Father, then you bring your healing, your true healing, Lord, in the deeper places, as Monica said. Amen. Just thank you for um, this time together, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can you show your appreciation for Robin Chester? Thank you. Thank you.